Hi, I'm Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Shams. And I'm Andrew Tejada, codename Arate. I'm a blur with a love for artwork and comics and animation. And I'm a writer and blurred with a love for pretty much the same things. We grew up together and spent much of our formative years watching and talking about DC superhero shows and content. In fact, we still do. Every episode, we will discuss a DC production, compare it to its original source material, and share our thoughts on the adaptation. We've enjoyed our conversations these past couple of decades, and we think you will too. This month, we're checking out New Earths as we hop across the DC-verse on... Yet another DC animated podcast, part of the forgotten entertainment family hello there i'm colleen daniel and i'm anders we're nerds who love science fiction and fantasy stories so of course we love star wars and if there's one thing the internet just can't get enough of it's nerds talking about star wars so each episode we journey to a galaxy far far away to discuss what's new in the star wars canon and beyond this is yet another star wars podcast Bring, 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 bring. Today, we're very excited to share our initial reactions and theories for The Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 5. This episode was written by John Favreau and Dave Filoni and directed by Peter Ramsey. So he's best known for co-directing Into the Spider-Verse. We were really excited to see what he would bring to Mando. I don't know about you guys, but I think he did great. Yes. Uh, fantastic. <laughs> great episode. This is your official spoiler warning. We're going to talk about this episode, all things Star Wars. Just be warned, like anything's up for grabs. So if you're ready, grab a drink, pull up a seat next to your Lasat BFF as we discuss The Mandalorian Chapter 21, The Pirate. All right, you guys ready to punch it? I mean, I guess. I am kind of tired. <laughs> you know what, guys? I have the talking hammer, so yes. Let's all right. Go. Fair enough, we go. So I'm going to start us off. He's got the spirit stick. <laughs> All right, so we're starting off on Navarro. Grief Karga and his team are there, like, planning out expansions of the city. They're like, oh, we need a railway. We need something else going on. Like, this is all these things we could do. And then Daniel's favorite, Pirate King Gorian Shard returns, and he hails them. He tells Grief, Navarro's his now. It's like, I gave you some of that startup money, so the planet's mine now. You thought you could get away. Grief, he tries to, like, bluff his way out of this. Like, oh, no, we have new Republic protection. And Pirate King Gorian Shard is just like, no, no, you don't. You are very much advertising the fact that you are independent. So you do not have that. Whoopsies. <laughs> Grief does. Played your hand, buddy. Sorry. Yeah. Grief does manage to get an SOS manage out to Carson Teva uh, before Shard's Corsair just begins an Oriel orbital not even orbital, suborbital, like right over the city bombardment. And the residents start running to evacuate. And all I, I, the only thing I want to know is did Grief Karga's cape droids make it out safe? <laughs> they better have. <laughs> did the cape carrying droids make it to the lava flats? Yes, they did. Because otherwise I will be very, very mad. <laughs> yes. So Teva receives the message at Adelphi Station. And kind of resents the fact that he's like, I'm not going to be able to help. I will I will put the message in, but it just won't get approved in time with all the bureaucracy involved in the New Republic. But with a little encouragement from his friend, Gerazeb Aurelios, <laughs> someone who I legit did not did not realize it was him until like the scene was almost over. 
Like I saw and I was just like, oh, it's a Lasat. Like, oh cool, oh, they're that doing voice. they're they're doing a Lasat. And then as it went on, I was like, wait, the voice. It, yeah. it, no, that that's that's the voice. Holy yeah. fuck, that's Zeb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I heard Steve Bum's voice and I was like, there's yep. no way. Oh my god, like that's it what? And then my roommate was the one who immediately clocked it. And I was like, it's it's just gotta be like someone close to him. And then when we saw it on the credits, my mind was blown. Yes. <laughs> Okay, good. Yeah, I'm not the only one, Daniel. There. Thank you. <laughs> um, so Carson decides he's going to head straight to Coruscant to put the request in in person directly. There, he requests sign-off from Tuttle, lovely bureaucrat, uh, who's kind of reluctant. Tim Meadows. Yay, Tim Meadows. He's reluctant to give New Republic assistance given their current strained resources you know man that's pretty far uh we don't have a lot of resources Mm -hmm. and his feelings are his biases and feelings are just confirmed by alaya who comes back in and is like yeah you know navarro they're they're independent right they never signed on to the new republic maybe they have to solve their own problems or maybe they should sign on the dotted line. Maybe after getting an ass whooping, they will sign mm-hmm. on the dotted line. Mm-hmm. And Teva, very frustration, at, very frustrated at this kind of blatant extortion and imperial line of thinking, manages decides he's going to reach out to Din and the Mandalorians in order to aid the people of Navarro. Thanks in no small part to his buddy, hero of the rebellion, R five D four. He just Always keeps on winning. <laughs> yeah, R5 just keeps coming in in the clutch. <laughs> Whether the Mandalorians think that is a whole other matter, we'll discuss that later. So the covert holds a meeting where Din makes the case to help. He also throws in that Grief Karka promised him a huge tract of land. Huge that the Mandalorians, tract huge, of land. <laughs> huge tract of land that the Mandalorians can use to live out of the shadows, beginning to build a new home surprisingly i was very shocked yeah Past i was then i wasn't agrees. we'll talk about this well, in a little bit <laughs> yeah he's a follower for real <laughs> he states that din is thinking about their collective futures which he is like din he is he's showing a little bit of leadership skill here but you know who shows even more leadership skill all the time all day every day bokatan she <laughs> takes the lead in planning the attack and she and din attack from the air while the rest of the team goes through the streets of navarro they're pinned down by a Trandoshan, shocking, with a turret gun, but the armor sneaks up behind him and takes him out. Amazing sequence. Loved it. Bo and Din take down the Corsair, and the Mandalorians win the day. They make peace with Grief Karga, who promises them the huge tract of land where they can live not and build in the swamp. a home. Yeah, not in the swamp. <laughs> it's going to be prime real estate. <laughs> Yeah, and then back at the forge, the armor tells Bo to remove her helmet. Yeah, Bo, take that helmet off. Work. I was I was really shook. I was like, is this happening right now? Uh, mm-hmm. She tells the former ruler that, look, Bo, you've walked in both worlds. You're the one who can unite the scattered remaining clans of Mandalorians. Uh, if she's truly seen the Mythosaur, this is her destiny and like this new age is upon them. So she goes and shows the rest of the covert her face, and the armor tells everyone else what's going to happen. And Bo's ready to go out there. Then later on, Teva's on patrol and comes across a wrecked prison transport shuttle 
and it gave horror movie vibes right there. The location and available data matches up the ship that was transporting Gideon on trial. So, great. He never made it. And upon inspection, the crew are dead. Gideon's nowhere to be found. And, of course, there's a piece of Beskar armor embedded in the wall. So, they all think it was done by Mandalorians. Dun, dun, dun. Circumstantial exactly. evidence at best. Moron squad. Like, who's fucking running this deal? Come on, Teva. You know better than this. Okay. So, uh, tunnel. so I don't oh. have faith. God, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't have faith in him either, even though he is very funny. Okay. Next, we're going to head into our reactions and favorite moments from the episode. Basically, my entire take on this episode is holy shit, it's Zeb. He looks fantastic. So <laughs> he really does. He looks so good, you guys. I can see like the budget on the ships in this episode, and just on Zeb, there's the budget. Like that's where it went. And I, I thought he was it. practical at first. Yeah, so did I. Or at least like a combo, but I think he's full CG. Mm hmm. Like he, I think he, so, yeah. He just looks amazing. Reminded me of the first time I saw Monsters Inc. and how realistic Sully's hair looked. Yeah. Oh, Oh, Hair's like really tough to do. Beautifully, yeah, yeah, it's very hard to do. And even though he is a rare hairless Wookie, <laughs> he still does. He still does have some fur on him. So I was so excited to see Zeb. I love Steve Bloom. He's fantastic. I was also really happy to see Captain Uncle Iroh again. My fave boy. I love him. I love Teva. He brings this kind of stable energy to Din's world, which is very needed. He's like. He is the uncle that comes in and is like, yo, kids, can you settle down a little bit? But also keep an eye out because there's shit going down. <laughs> he always seems to know that there is something going on. We're going to talk about that a lot later. Uh, did he really have to go all the way, though, to the core from the outer rim and then all the way back to the outer rim? It seemed a little bit circuitous. Like, I get why he wanted to do it in person. Yeah. But uh, that's a long jump. Like, that's a lot of hyperspace to get from the core to the outer rim. But they also had to show us Elia again and how she's kind of entrenched herself in this upper bureaucracy. So I, I get it. It just seemed like a lot. <laughs> it, But he also put in the effort. So yay, Captain Teva gets more stars. And then the pirate. I think Daniel's going to talk about this too. But it was like a Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disney. <laughs> <laughs> real i haven't expected them to be like at an auction auctioning off chickens and stuff like they do in the ride so i couldn't really take them very seriously but they were fun yeah. i thought it was fun <laughs> yeah i'll continue that take then it <laughs> it was treading a fine line between really good action and camp mm -hmm. and it, it was a little strange at moments where it's like Here's these pirates, and they've got the little Ugnat guy like, Holy Captain, there's Mandalorians coming. Very and it's me. Like, yeah, <laughs> and it's like, me. and he's even dressed like him. Yeah. And <laughs> and then, like, the pirates are sitting outside, and they're forcing the guy to walk out with the tray, and then they're like, oh, and knock the tray over. And Be nice like, to oh, your service on. staff, pirates. Yeah, and it's like, this is so stereotypical pirate. It's yeah, like it's so goofy. But then you have a Mandalorian jump out of the Combrick uh, transport, like land on a guy, knock him to the ground, and execute him in the back of the head with a pistol. And you're like, oh right, Mandalorians are cool. 
but it like you didn't ever like I never felt like the Mandalorians were that threatened. The action was satisfying, but I just wanted more oomph out of the pirates. The ship itself was intimidating. The pirates on the ground, a little less so. Um, and RIP to that ship. Why did they have to kill it? They, <laughs> so they had two teams. Why Why did one of the teams not land on the ship and take everyone down? You already took down a ship in season two. Take another one back. Rebuild your fleet. Oh, that's what I would do. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, overall, in this episode, I was very much in the yes camp. Like, the visuals on this with the ships, with Zeb, with everything, were absolutely incredible. You know, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but just given kind of the uh, the CG conversation from the past year, year and a half or so, this mm-hmm. is just so refreshing to see that, no, we can do it if you focus your energy. Bringing the Navarro storyline kind of full circle from the Mandalorians down in the sewers in season one, being hunted all the way up to getting this huge track to land. Sorry, I cannot say it without <laughs> doing it that way. <laughs> That's fine. I couldn't either. The entire time I was laughing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, there were a couple of points during the like the street fight and, you know, when the residents were kind of in exile. We talked about this a little bit on Obi-Wan Kenobi, where I feel like we were seeing the, a little bit of the limits of the volume. Where I'm like, there should absolutely be more people involved in this scene, and we're limited to the ten that we can cram into the space. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, please tell me then, this is just like one neighborhood of uh, the city. Yeah, when he's addressing like citizens of Navarro, right? And given the, I mean, given the budget of a show, if we're gonna put the budget where we did, I'm glad we put it in the uh, in the Zeb and the Corsair fight. I wanted a little bit more out of the armor when she was hitting people with the hammer. Like I want maybe this is also recency bias. I just saw like John Wick four a few days yeah. ago. So like I wanted a little bit more out of, out of that, like kind of hand to hand, but overall still, still good. Teva going back to Coruscant was a little meh for me, just the, the contrivance of it, but it did its job story-wise. It put Elia back in our forefront of our minds. It moved the Gideon plot forward. So I mean I'm willing to I'm willing to roll with it. Still don't know why they're on Coruscant. Um, I guess maybe a lot of these like operational things are just still there, even though the actual capital isn't. Yeah, I think they're still transitioning Prime by this point. Shendrilla. I don't think they're be... on. Yeah, I don't think they're on Hazian Prime yet. But they are. They're in the process. They move every couple of years. Like yeah. there was a concerted effort to say we're not going to have a capital. Yeah. Um. I. For as as weird as it was that he has to like for the for the story, it's like okay, I see why we have to do it for Elia and all that. I do appreciate for that scene though, showing once again how ineffective this new republic is. Because one of my biggest gripes about the sequels, they're retroactively like, okay, they just really dropped the ball so quickly, and we're seeing just how ineffective that new republic is. Mm-hmm. I do appreciate these scenes for that. Which is absolutely true to life. I mean, anytime you have a revolution, if you're ever interested in how that goes, I highly recommend just uh, searching on YouTube for um, Doctor Who, Peter Capaldi, The War Speech, oh, where so he good. has a great speech about what happens after your revolution mm-hmm. and what are you going to do next? Well, I think Star Wars has a problem, too, with not showing that the Empire didn't collapse immediately. 
Yeah. That's true too. Like it did not. It took a while to retake Coruscant. There's all these warlords around. Ray Sloan is off doing her stuff. Like there's still a lot going on. Like the Battle of Jeddah happens. That's true. That's that's kind of just like a side effect though of expanding the story. Like in a traditional fantasy story, right? Like the kingpin falls and then everything's fine the next day. But then part of the best the best part of the story, the reason we all love Game of Thrones, what happens the next day? Yeah. Mm. Nothing good. (laughs) (laughs) So I know it wouldn't necessarily have made actually have made a ton of sense with how Pirate King Seaweed Salad the Hut um, comes in here and his function in the story. But, you know, if we're going to have Pirate Kings, there's another character out there who's available who is, you know, he's a pirate. He's a hero of the rebellion. He's a king. The savior of Lothal, Ezra Bridger's personal champion, Hondo Onaka. Where the fuck is he, you cowards? Yeah, I. Um... <laughs> Anders, I, I think we might have hope for you. I don't want to, like, you know, give you false promises. But they mentioned a pirate nation. Mm-hmm. And who better to unify the pirate nation than our boy? <laughs> just saying. <sighs> I'm just saying. I mean, we can hope. He just would. Yes. Dave mm-hmm. Filoni, I know that you are probably <laughs> listening right now. <laughs> yes, he is one of the five people who listen yes. to this podcast. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But okay, I mean, overall, the episode. It it was still really good, and it was goofy, but it, I feel like it accomplished a lot in terms of moving the plot forward and setting us up for these final three. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Colleen, I think I know the answer, but what was like your favorite standout moment from this episode? Just Zeb. <laughs> That's, <it. laughs> That's my favorite moment, is Zeb. I, the rest of the episode didn't even need to happen for me. <laughs> I mean, he he was like, he was Gollum level, like Caesar, Planet of the Apes level, good looking CG. Yes. It wouldn't surprise me if I haven't heard if Steve Blum did light, like motion capture, but it would not surprise me if he did. Cool. Mm. I would love to hear that if that happened. Yeah. Yeah, I, that would be bad. I can't talk. That would be cool. I always do appreciate when voice actors do the motion capture as, uh, capture as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we already know what I loved. Everything to do with the spaceships. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like it was amazing. I love that. Uh, but one little thing that stood out for me is the one that holds the hammer gets to speak at the round table. That's so fantastic. Yes. I love how they just do the little things of how, you know, the forge is so important. And it's like, all right, he's holding the hammer. It's his turn to speak. No one else now. Like, it's just, it's so goofy. It's a great, <laughs> a great it. detail. Yeah. It's just it, the little things. It is a great way to run a meeting. Yeah, I gotta really say. Mm-hmm. All right. So for the sake of variety, I'm going to actually say seeing Teva's droid launches a little probe. Like in the past, we've seen kind of like the uh, the periscope thing pop up. We haven't seen it fly out like this. It was a really cool little feature. And doing the whole pan through the ship was just really cool. cool. Some creepy vibes going on. I really, really like that. Yes, I liked the shift to this kind of horror 
genre set piece very very much like that i'm like oh creepy shit's happening i'm so here for it mm-hmm. <laughs> all right moving on into our easter eggs connections callbacks and homages colleen so we've talked about him a few times who who is zeb why are we so excited well zeb is a Lasat. um he's voiced by star wars rebels my absolute favorite star wars actor steve bloom who is not only a great voice actor he's also a hilarious and kind human being so then getting to see our fave Lasat make his amazing debut in live action it it was just like not not life altering but my evening was certainly so much better <laughs> upon having seen him and just see so many people get excited to see him like i went on twitter immediately and was like oh my god <laughs> And people were so, so excited to see him. Although we do have questions. Like, where is Callus? Where is his hot, hot husband slash boyfriend slash whatever they are? Okay, so <laughs> right before we started recording, I went back. I rewatched the finale montage from mm-hmm. Rebels. And all it says is that Zeb brought Callus to Lyrasan where he was yes. welcome among them as equals. So, I mean, we all definitely assumed that Zeb would have settled on Lyrasan and like be among his people but never actually says that no it does not and that's our other question why isn't he on Lyrasan like perhaps he was called out of retirement by Hera to assist in the outer rim because she's a general during this time she's still active especially right when the empire fell she was very active like in the alphabet squadron books so she was probably like, you know who we could use some help in the Outer Rim? Zeb. Because Lyrasan is out in the Unknown Regions. So he at least could get there maybe faster. And she probably knows that the others are busy. Maybe looking for Ezra. Mm-hmm. Like, Zeb is the one that we can send out. Um, if you aren't familiar with the Lasat, their roots do trace back to Ralph McQuarrie's concept art for Chewbacca in A New Hope which I think is hysterical. Whenever I see the artwork, I giggle because it does look like Zeb. It looks like a Lasat, but yeah. it also looks ridiculous. <laughs> like when you think of that that's how Chewbacca was supposed to look in the beginning, that's just very silly. But it was resurrected to create the new species, Lasat, specifically for Zeb and the Rebel show, which I do love. I like yeah. that they make him purple. Makes mm-hmm. him stand out a little bit more. And I love that he has like this kind of English drawl accent, like working class accent. He just sounds amazing. I love it. He does. And I do hope that like, I mean, we are gushing about this. This is probably the like moment of the episode for us because we are nerds and we have watched it all. We are totally invested in everything. But if you don't know who Zeb is, if you haven't watched Rebels, for whatever reason, you know, you haven't gotten to it yet. You're just sick of people recommending you watch this children's <laughs> animated show. You know what? Power to you. Whatever. I do hope that you were at the very least able to be like, that looks really cool mm-hmm. and really well done. Like, and that's all you have to know to understand what's going on in the episode. Yeah. So yeah. I will add in this as well. If you're someone who's not watched the shows, but maybe you've played the video games, like maybe Fall in Order, mm-hmm. where you have a Jedi Master who is a Lasat, Jaro DePaul, he looks so good in that game, and it's very photorealistic animation. So to see the level of detail they had in the game, which I thought, oh, this is the best Lasat are ever going to look, 
and then yeah. have it on screen. And I was like, oh, this looks so good. So yeah, that was it just it was fantastic. I was very moved, happy about that. Moved perfectly. Yes. yes, it wasn't him just sitting there not doing anything. Like he actually had movement and looked good. And that is the biggest part. Like they can they can sit there and look fine, but yeah, when they move, you can tell sometimes it falls apart. Yeah. Oh man. So we also got Zeb saying a direct callback to Han Solo. He goes, good luck. You're going to need it. Not even going to try to do the <laughs> accent this time. Uh, it it was so good hearing him say that. I just, God, I love Zeb. Yeah. Except Teva and Zeb are at Adelphi base. So this is the station for Teva and his rangers. It's first mentioned all the way back in chapter 10 of the Mandalorian. Uh, he also, at one point, he kind of instructs Din to follow him back to Adelphi base, and Din chooses to shoot off and go for drag racing in the N1 Starfighter instead. What's uh, that? I'm Adel- sorry, I didn't hear you. Yeah. <laughs> Adelphi uh, has its roots in Greek and Latin words for brotherhood and brothers, which makes Hell sense yeah, kind brother. of as a like military units installation mm-hmm. uh, and kind of gives us a small glimpse into the Rangers of the New Republic series that could have been. Yeah. <laughs> womp, womp, womp. <laughs> Maybe someday we'll get what we deserve when it comes mm-hmm. to the Rangers of the New Republic. I really hope so. Zeb Next... Callus, Rangers of the New Republic. Yeah, exactly. Give it to oh us, you cowards. God, I love that. <laughs> I'm sorry, we just don't have the budget to make Zeb look yeah. that good for a full series. Like it just That's does not exist. Very true. <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be really difficult. Next we have, as Daniel said before, Tim Meadows as Tuttle. This is a reference to Brazil, which is a brilliant dystopian film where bureaucracy rules. And it's it's so zany and crazy. I love Terry Gilliam. So if you haven't seen Brazil, definitely check it out. Tuttle moves Navarro to the back of the queue because they're not a member of the New Republic yet. So sad. They've got too much to do and no personnel. It doesn't help that Elia comes in and points all this out. Like, you Mm. could totally watch her, like, skulking in the background, too. Like, she's listening. She's waiting to pop in and be like, oh, I'm going to the the mess hall to get some food. Would you like some? Oh, Navarro. Ew. (laughs) Someone waiting to help? Let me squash that, you little fucking... mm. She's the worst. (laughs) She's really good, though. (laughs) And then we've got, help me, Carson Teva. You're my only hope. (laughs) <laughs> the hollow vid that grief sends Teva is a lot like Leia's plea to Obi-Wan in A New Hope. It is pretty great. I, I loved seeing that. And then the townspeople being unable to protect themselves. It's kind of a common Western trope. Plot of the Seven Samurai, which Kira Kurosawa film I have saved on my uh, HBO playlist right now. I am so ready to watch that. I've got like a ton of 50s, 60s, mm. 40s samurai films to watch. And we all know who loves Kurosawa. Like Kurosawa helped oh, inspire a lot oh, of George, George uh, Lucas stuff. <laughs> Fantastic. Daniel, oh, I really want you to watch, to watch the watch Kurosawa stuff. I also just know you have so much other stuff you have to watch. Okay. <laughs> yes, but I feel like the Kurosawa stuff is like I mean, Seven Samurai, definitely put it at the top of the list, but yeah. (laughs) All right. Next up, we have Max Lloyd-Jones. He returns as Lieutenant Reed, who's one of uh, Teva's wingmates. 
Uh, Max was also the stand-in body double for Luke Skywalker in his season two finale cameo, Colleen's favorite. Uh, although he did not stand in for Mark Hamill during his appearances in Book of Boba Fett. That was done by another actor. They should just recast Luke with Max Lloyd-Jones. He looks like him. Just do it. It's fine. I'm all for Sebastian Stan. Let's just do it. I mean, he would be good too. But Max did such a great job. Like, just give him the role. It'd be so easy. He's right there. He's literally right there. Okay, next. They shot first. Totally true. Vane did shoot first, or he reached for his blaster first, and Grief was just faster. <laughs> so this oh, is a yeah. nod to Han Solo shooting Greedo down in the Mos Eisley Cantina in A New Hope. Unfortunately, Gorian Shard does not care who shot first. Not much of a Star Wars fan, then. Kind of like Harrison Ford. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. God, he's so real. I the love him. What the fuck are you talking about? God, I love him so much. Um... So then we've got the Pirate Nation. Gorian Shard says the New Republic can't even protect their own people from the Pirate Nation. Could this be someone who <laughs> I need someone else to say the name of? Because I okay. have no idea how to say this. I don't either because I did not read the audiobook, but I'm going to try it. I know that her okay. first name, or Zher first name, is LOD, and I think it's Maricavania. I think that's... Yeah, that's about that's, right. Oh, Marika Vanya, that sounds great. Now that you said it, I can think of that. I just mm -hmm. was looking at the word and I was like, that's scary. Mm -hmm. uh, so this non-binary person took control of a Star Destroyer in the Aftermath trilogy and made a ship-based pirate nation in wild space. So that's cool. Mm -hmm. um, you're kind of a jerk, though, being <laughs> a pirate, so... <laughs> fuck you! If this, if this is Elodie's work. Privateer. <laughs> Privateer, yeah. Why do yeah. you have a an L O D? Like it's it's spelled so weird. L A O D. Yeah, L E O D is L E O D. I don't, I don't know. know. Your name scares me. <laughs> well, someone whose name is pretty awesome is Teva Carson mm -hmm. Teva, who is played by Paul Soon Win Lee. Uh, he has been around since Mando season one, popping up here and there whenever we need to check in with the New Republic presence in the Outer Rim. Uh, he's also a massive Star Wars fan. Yes. So this was kind of like a dream come true role for him. He's a voice of reason. He's apparently willing to go the extra mile to, or the extra light year, the extra parsec, whatever you want to say, uh, to protect the people in the far reaches of the New Republic. He's not a fan of bureaucracy either. Mm -hmm. He's got a very common trope here where he's like all of these things. He's the voice of reason saying all of these things are connected, like all of these things on Navarro. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, it's not a coincidence that they keep happening there and he's getting ignored by his bosses. Uh, also, shout out to him. He's got a Rancor patch on that really fucking awesome leather yeah. jacket. Oh, yeah. He looks great. That's a really great jacket. I kind of want it. <laughs> Right, yes. you know it's going to be sold at Disney for like way too much. Mm -hmm. I don't know the. I mean, the Indiana Jones jacket is not as expensive as I would have thought it was. There we hey, go. Don't tell me that because now <laughs> I'm just thinking used to go get it. Interesting. <laughs> Still expensive, but not as expensive as I would have thought. Okay. Uh, we see Y wings. We go to the New Republic base on that really beautiful beach. Uh, Adelphi, great location. Whoever scouted that, good job. Uh, so we see the Y-Wing land. Those ships were used as starfighters and long-range bombers for the Rebellion. 
Uh, nice to see they're still in use. They're not as quick or as maneuverable as the X-Wing or the A-Wing, but they are very solid, and they can pack a solid punch, so mm -hmm. keep them around. Plus, they look cool. They look cool. They do look really cool. <laughs> All right, we also have some fun cameos in the bar scene at Adelphi. Directors Deborah Chow, Rick Famuyiwa, and Dave Filoni are back as their X-Wing pilot characters from Season 1. And in one shot, you can see Dave Filoni's cowboy hat looking yep. across the bar at Zeb. Which is really, really <laughs> fun. I didn't notice it because Zeb was on screen. That's yeah, wasn't really looking for that, but it was nice to go back and and see all of them back. Uh, next up, you know, guys, R two D two may uh, have his lips locked up real tight. He ain't no snitch, but R five definitely is. And you know what? I gotta say, this is also a total chopper move. Chopper would absolutely yes. be in contact with Teva. Yeah. <laughs> So mm -hmm. Teva mentions someone he served with during the rebellion led him to the covert, and it's Din's new astromech. This is the second major callout we've had to R5's involvement in the rebellion, reminding us that this is not just a droid that blew up at the start of A New Hope. And yeah. it just really kind of ties him in with the entire concept of the rebellion and really brings some of those other stories. You know, I know we talked about from a certain point of view, but I think he has a he has a comic storyline too. Mm -hmm. He does, yeah. So we also see the Corsair, my favorite. Uh, my laptop decided to just freak out for a second and almost <laughs> disconnect. Um, we get the Corsair. It's another name for a pirate, and it's also a ship type. It's a beautiful ship type. It's the Corsair is first mentioned in canon in Thrawn Ascendancy Chaos Rising. It looks a lot like a Separatist ship from the Clone Wars, kind of repurposed in some parts. Um, it also refers to a Cumulus class in the episode, uh, perhaps calling back to the High Republic villains, the Nile. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I got a lot of vibes from them about that when they oh, were talking yes. about the Pirate Nation. It's yes. also got the, uh, I mean, that that head kind of looks like the uh, the hammerhead class of the Mon Calamari ships, the ones in Rogue One that like pull a ramming yeah. maneuver. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting looking ship, mm -hmm. and it definitely has that kind of piratey aspect. Oh, totally! I loved the cannons I just loved on the it. side of it. Yeah, yes, and the turrets. Like this ship is Let's formidable. Keep it. Why didn't yes. we keep it? <laughs> Next up, we have Bullock Canyon. So this is just a name drop. Uh, Jeremy Bullock is the original actor who played Boba Fett in Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. So nice that they named a canyon on Navarro after him. Yeah, that was really cool. I love a good actor call out, especially when they have to wear a mask all the damn time. Yeah. Because <laughs> yep. nobody would have known who Absolutely not. Jeremy Bullock was. So giving him this was really cool. And the next one, we already talked a little bit about this. No talking without the talking stick. In this case, it's the armorer's hammer. When Din is trying to convince the covert to help Navarro, each person who speaks holds the hammer to show that they're the one in charge of the conversation at that moment. It's adorable. Otherwise, they will beat you with the hammer. That's very true. It's very, very true. The Trandoshan was not holding the hammer when he was trying to shoot the armorer. So it's his own fault. And really. he was making noise. He was. Mm -hmm. He was being disruptive. <laughs> oh, man. So, Bo gives a speech about settling on Navarro, reminding the covert that they used to live in the sewers there. 
Kind of feels like a callback to Maul lecturing his Mandalorian followers to get out of the sewers and fight. Um, yep. Which they already <laughs> did. They did that in like episode two. Yeah. They, they tried, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to see him get back there, though. Yes. Next up, I mean, do we have another callback to Claudia Gray's novel, Bloodline? So in this book, Leia discovers that the kind of empire-thinking, empire-leaning centrist party, the ones who are at least publicly like, guys, no, the empire was bad, don't get us wrong, but they knew how to make the trains run on time. They got shit done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there were entire planets destroyed. But think about the economy. Think right. about the efficiency. <laughs> we found out that uh, several people in that party are secretly funding the growing First Order in the Unknown Regions. They are using criminal organizations like pirates and a pirate nation to funnel the money without getting caught. Until Uh-oh. they publicly humiliates one of their leaders, and it's hilarious. Yes. Oh yeah, <laughs> that book is great. If you're really looking for like a pre-sequel book, that is the one to read. Definitely. So good. All right, moving on now. Just a few other points for us to discuss here. I liked this concept. I mean, it's kind of the eternal question when it comes to stuff like this. This idea, Tuttle is like a bureaucrat, and we don't necessarily like him. But there is an interesting question there of kind of interventionism versus letting people who are determined to be independent solve their own problems. And this idea of what is the New Republic's role? What is their actual role throughout the galaxy? They are a determinedly decentralized government. They don't even have a specific capital. They're focused on demilitarization and... We saw this a little bit during the Clone Wars with worlds like Mandalore, right? Mandalore was like, we are independent Republic. Get the fuck out of here. We don't want, we don't want to deal with your shit. We will deal with our own problems. And on that flip side, the Republic at the time was kind of like, guys, we really need to help Mandalore because it very much helps us if Mandalore doesn't fall. And yet they didn't. And yet they didn't, or they the so, or they had to like secretly do it off the books in weird ways, and it definitely did not work out for them multiple times. Yeah. So saving Mandalore have... would have been the right choice, right? They fucked up. <laughs> Just the the New Republic is so short sighted. the The Republic before them tried to do this approach of oh we'll we'll have planets defend themselves and we're going to scale back military and all this stuff and they just let problems fester in the outer rim they ignored the plight of people suffering and they let the conditions grow for the empire for the first order for all this stuff they ignored all these problems until they became too big it's they they tried to bury their heads in the sand and do the exact same thing as the Republic before then. Yeah. At the same time, I mean, this is, I mean, this is a pretty central question across a lot of, well, our world's talking about like American intervention, interventionism and things like that. But it's a pretty central question across a lot of major fandom storytelling. Right. I mean, this is the entire concept of the Sokovia Accords Mm -hmm. in the MCU. 
you know, should the Avengers just be able to go in and intervene whenever they feel like it based on their own gut instincts? Mm -hmm. And should everyone just accept that? Uh, This comes up in DC Comics. You know, the Justice League has like a charter with the UN about which countries it's allowed to kind of, it is allowed to do that in the countries that have said, yes, you can, yes, you can do this versus if you're going to countries who say, no, you cannot operate on our soil. Great plot lines. And Young Justice for that. <laughs> Isn't that just <laughs> Dr. Doom's country of Labaria? They can't go. No, because that's still Marvel. That's still Marvel. Oh, oh that is Marvel. Yeah. Fantastic Four, isn't it? He yeah. He would totally Fantastic do that Four. though. He'd be like, yeah, you can't come in here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Fuck <man>. you guys. <laughs> <laughs> no Fantastic Four, no Avengers. Let's just throw in oh. Justice League because they're in a parallel universe. They're in a parallel universe. <laughs> now, there's a couple of uh, interesting plot lines in Young Justice where the team has to go in and do like covert ops. And I, it, I'm totally blanking on the country name right now. Um, listen to yet another DC animated podcast. I'm sure they'll break down these episodes soon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they have to go in because the country is not a part of the UN charter with the with the league. Uh oh. I mean, it's not like there's a huge crisis happening in Ukraine. That's a big problem right now. <laughs> yes, and but they're not they're not legally they're not a part, part of, of the UN. They're not yeah. they're not part of the uh, the NATO pact. So it's a uh, and then you know trying to get them in. It's I mean it. There is no real answer. It's one of those things that's just like in the moment every time. It's like this seems like the obvious answer, mm-hmm. but you can't generalize based right. on that. In the space opera world where there's magical wizards and people that uh, are like the Mandalorian, I will say, I think it's cool and good for you to step in and do stuff. <laughs> in the real world, much more nuance, nuanced and complicated, and I am not qualified yeah. for those talks. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what we are qualified to do? We are qualified to speculate on what the fuck's going on with Gideon. So Gideon wow. broken out of his prison shuttle. We know this for a fact now. Mm-hmm. couple of questions here. The first question is, who? The evidence we have is that there was a piece of Beskar armor embedded on the interior of the shuttle. So we have a few options here. Number one is we have Bo's former Mandalorian compatriots, who she mm-hmm. said went and turned mercenary after she was gone. Number two, we have that the armor is somehow secretly behind this and the covert is somehow secretly involved here. Number three is we have, this is actually not Mandalorians at all. And this is like Gideon's own people who we know had major access to Beskar. He, Gideon was responsible for the purge of Mandalore. So he kind of gained control of the planet and what resources it had left. We know that the client paid Din for Grogu in pure Beskar way back in season one. And we also know that there are a lot of like TIE fighters, which don't have hyperdrive engines, just like within nice bombing distance of Bo-Katan's castle in the Mandalore system. Potentially super Mm -hmm. commandos being introduced. And could there be some super commandos introduced? I don't know. So we've got a few options for who this could have been. And then the other question is obviously why the main reason would be we are breaking Gideon out of jail because he is our leader and mm-hmm. you know we we want him back 
and we're framing the Mandalorians intentionally or unintentionally um, mm -hmm. with the, with the Beskar or some Mandalorians actually are on some vigilante justice and getting revenge for the purge saying trial's not good enough. We're going to fucking deal with you ourselves. Where do you guys I land? I'd be totally fine with that. I really hope I it's think a frame it was the job. Empire. <laughs> yeah. Really hope so because yeah, we would think that Mandalorians wouldn't be dumb enough to leave Beskar behind, but we also have seen Paz Vizsla and the covert shooting rockets into a lake. So, like, <laughs> that was practice. That was practice. <laughs> yeah, I hope it's a frame job. It would be a good way to turn the New Republic against the fledgling Mandalorians trying to come back. But then also, it would, like, the optics of it are just weird. Like, how would they do that? Be like, the Mandalorians, who Gideon destroyed their world, broke him out of prison for some reason? Well, Maybe vigilante? Yeah, vigilante. Yeah, I, I think the Republic would just think it's revenge stuff. But then they would be mad that, like, oh, you went and tried to take revenge, so now we gotta try and enact some sort of, like... Let's show our authority. Take the law into mm. your own hands. Yeah, bad Batman. We mean bad Mandalorian. <laughs> Not that. <laughs> I mean, they they don't have any personnel though. Who are they going to send out to freaking like whap Din on the wrist? Aliyah. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> if they trusted her to go out and do that, that's your own fault. Like that's your own really fault is. if you trusted her. Yeah, for real. Oh. I mean, there is a part of me that kind of hopes this is like Bo's former Mandos who went mercenary because they mm. she dropped that in earlier in the season, and so I feel like I want that to come back and almost in like a bite them in the ass kind of way. But I think it's so much more likely that it's Gideon's own people. Yeah, that makes yeah, the most probably sense. is. Yeah. Okay. Next up, we have our dude Paz Vizsla. He's a total prick. We don't like him. <laughs> But you know what, guys? He sticks to his honor. He sticks to the creed. I mean, I mentioned this way up towards the top. This is moment here where he's like, you absolutely think he's about to just like shit all over Din and Bo. And he's like, no, it's because we're Mandalorians. And it's what we do is very much in line with his character that we've seen so far. He did challenge Din for the Darksaber and lost, but respected the outcome. And way back in season one, he's like, dude, I fucking hate you. But he was absolutely <laughs> willing to come out of the shadows, rise up out of the sewers, and fight for his covert mate. Yeah. Fight yeah, for his Mando family. brother. Yeah. Nobody gets to make fun of us or shoot at us except each other. <laughs> mm -hmm. Real. Paz Vizsla is interesting just because he's a Vizsla and all the baggage that comes with that name. He's yeah. not the leader, and he he knows that. I mean, he knows his place. You can tell. He like he tried to take the dark saber, but I think that was also the armor being like, "Yo, see if you can take the dark saber from Dinjarin, since he's a foundling, and you're like one of the high houses of Mandalore who might be able to rally more people behind you, where Din couldn't." So I think that's all strategy on the part of the armorer, and I think we're going to talk about that next too but D daniel what do you think about our buddy our good pal he's such a like <laughs> he's a dick but i love him and i'm coming around <laughs> on him because he's like no this is the way this is what we do and this is what we we stick to and that's always been his through line and you know what he sticks to it and i respect it 
he's a fundamentalist dick about this cult, but he is consistent. So and if he I had turned around him. and shot R5, you would have been like, you know what? Stick to your guns. I mean, <laughs> look, man, stitches, uh, snitches get stitches. Or new bolts or and soldering. Soldering. Yeah. <laughs> the point is, the point the is, what's the, what's the R5, Japanese that was where like, really you fill it in up, with the man. gold? Kintsugi. Mm -hmm. I just saw that on Stitches get Kintsugi. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, the point is, I, I'm starting to respect him a lot more, and I loved seeing him stand up. Like it was like, all right, I'm I'm impressed with him now. I just uh, I hope that he continues to be honorable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, I will well, say, I will say, I do trust him more because after uh, after the battle, when uh, Bo walks out there with her helmet off, he looks to Din. Din gives him the nod, and then he looks back and is fine with it. So it looks like he trusts he trusts our, our heroes a little bit more. Yeah. Well, and I mean, both doing that at the behest of the armor, and yeah. this is kind of like another big thing coming out of this episode. The armor has really surprised us and kind of confounded us the last few weeks. So she's shifting from this kind of antagonist role more towards the protagonist she sort of started out as but we never really understood where where her angles were i i still don't really trust her but with this whole deal with Bo being like all right you are the one who can walk both worlds you can bring us all together the major question is is she being genuine I kind so. of wonder if she's setting Bo up to fail, or at the very least, kind of like setting Bo up to be the one to bring all of these Mandalorian, you know, remnants together. And then she can step in and be like, cool, join me or die. I, I kind of trust die. her. I, I really honestly think that she believes in protecting Mandalorians. She wants to keep them going. And I think that her faith that, okay, we've seen Bo's a leader. She's seen the mythosaur. Uh, we've, we've seen that she understands both the way and, uh, you know, outside Mandalorian ways. I think the, the armor might be genuine, but because of the strangeness and like the creepiness of the cult, we, we kind of want to doubt her but I, something about her yes, feels we have a natural affinity to <laughs> doubt okay. cult leaders okay listen <laughs> listen we don't know if it is fully like cult in terms of like <laughs> jonestown or cult in terms of this is just a religious cult in the definition that's in not like the bad. scientology sense what, like what are we doing here Daniel? okay hold on hold on scientology <laughs> is dumb and bad and i'm gonna put that on the record shit i forgot who is the name of the uh employee on reddit that people would say hi to because she would name search scientology no 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 there was like an actual like if her name was like sarah something uh people oh, yeah. on reddit would be like hi we know that you're looking at this thread because we're talking about scientology Anyway, mm -hmm. fuck you, Scientologist. Uh, give Clearwater back. Um, <laughs> what were we even talking about? The point is, no, no, I'm saying like she. It might just be a religious cult in the uh, definition, like the actual definition term of like this is just a sub splinter group, and she might be genuine about like okay, this is what we do, but I want to get other Mandalorians involved, 
they can do their thing, but we just want to keep Mandalorians as a whole going. I right. So her her cultish beliefs only extend as far as her own power is able to make them. Like she's like, you know what? This is the way. I am fundamentally, absolutely rigid in this until we need more followers. So, okay, (laughs) hold on. I think she's saying we can have a Mandalorian society where some people do it and some people don't. Like, if you want to be part of our covert, cool. But like, we she still wants Mandalorians as a whole to flourish. I that's where I'm. And I think you can leave whenever you want. And I think that that is a lovely sentiment, Daniel. I'm saying that is diametrically opposed to everything that the armor has done for the past two and a half seasons. I know, but she she seemed shook uh, when she was talking to Bo. She seemed shook when she was talking to Bo about the the mythosaur thing. I I think that they're I I think they want us to doubt her, but she's actually a little bit more genuine than we think. Yeah, only if she takes off the helmet and starts like making out with Katie Sackoff, then sure. No, that's the only moment you'll be sure dating Fenro, and that's that. I'm sorry, I want to see Emily Swallow and Katie Sackhoff have a hot I mean, Stevie moment. That is fair. They're both very attractive women. That would be just fine. But also, I would like Kevin McKidd to show up and be Fen Rao and have that him make out with Katie Sackhoff. Awesome. <laughs> Basically, we just want Katie Sackhoff to make out with somebody. Katie, Sa- Katie Sackhoff can have a harem. It's fine. That's very true. Just a bunch of very loyal followers. Um <laughs> So this question kind of leads into the final questions prediction section for me. I do not trust the armor one bit. <laughs> I feel like she's playing Bo by drawing more Mandalorians to her side. Like even if she props Bo up as a leader, I doubt the armor is going to give up trying to seduce other Mandalorians to her side. Also, by saying Bo's the leader, it puts the target on Bo's back. And deflects any sort of mm. leadership role from herself so she can make an easier getaway, whereas Bo would become the target. Mm-hmm. So I think the armor is very good at strategizing. I really I wish that she was being genuine here. I really wish that she was. I think she sees something that she can use and is moving forward in that direction. If I am wrong, I will wholly embrace that. <laughs> I mean, I hope you're wrong. I really want her to be chill. <laughs> Me too. I would love to see just two Mandalorian women being like, what's up, bitches? We rule. That would be awesome. I don't know if that's the direction they're going. <laughs> I can see Sabine showing up and being like, wow, the armor is sus AF. <laughs> and Bo being like, okay, I trust your judgment on this, Sabine. <laughs> Or Sabine's mom, Ursa Ren, pops in. Michelle Yeoh takes off the helmet and is like, that bitch is crazy. <laughs> we are not doing this. <laughs> I would love, love, love to see that. Um, another prediction I have is I knew they couldn't waste Giancarlo Esposito just by like one dropped line of Gideon's going to a war tribunal. I love that he's still out there. I love that we're probably going to see him mugging for the camera yet again. Maybe not until the final episode of the season, but I still love to see him on screen, especially as a Star Wars villain. Like, just give us more Giancarlo Esposito being evil. I yeah. want it. Yeah. <laughs> I That's want it. such a great job. <laughs> and yeah, I want to see whether the Mandalorians are being framed. I'm guessing yes, because 
oh, we just happened to leave some Beskar behind. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, they're <laughs> we'll, too smart we'll for that. Guys. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Not the Covert, but other Mandalorians no. would probably be smart. Also, respect to all of us for thus far not being like, oh, this means Thrawn's coming. No, please, no. he's not. Not no. in this. Yeah, I really not in this. Not. No, we had thought maybe Ahsoka, because yes. it was so organized, but it seems more of a Gideon situation. Yeah, like, it definitely seems Gideon's a Gideon thing. the minor boss before you get to the big boss. Mm-hmm. And blowing up Bo's castle just seemed a little bit too petty for Thrawn. He's not really petty kind of guy, but Gideon mm-hmm. definitely is. <laughs> yeah. Yep. All right. So next week is Bryce Dallas Howard's episode. And so far, her episodes have been season one, The Sanctuary, season two, The Heiress, where we saw Bo Katan, and then Book of Boba Fett, The Return of the Mandalorian. So she just has this natural eye for these kind of like wide pan shots very scene setting type of shots and to really focus in and do incredible character work and put that front and center so if we run with the assumption that next week is likely going to be Bo on this mission to kind of unite the mandalorian clans uh it would make sense to have Din with her because he does in fact have the dark saber. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so nice little uh symbol to have right next to you. Mm-hmm. I would predict that outside of like the closing shot of the finale, this is the most likely spot for a Sabine appearance. Mm-hmm. That would be cool. Um, or a, or I, a name drop. Or a name drop or something. Or, I mean, Colleen, you mentioned this. It's my long shot hope of seeing Michelle Yeoh appear as Ursa Ren. I think Bryce. Why would you put such a want into my heart? (laughs) Because I want to make it happen, Daniel. I'm manifesting, okay? Yes. Um, I feel like Bryce Dallas Howard would just have an amazing visual eye for the Ren homestead. Mm-hmm. That we saw in Rebels, that snow planet on the ice lake, and that would just look absolutely phenomenal. So this is less of a prediction and more just like of a hope. I am I'm doing the secret and putting it out there into the universe. <laughs> then Fair we'd enough. also get to I see her really that. hot brother too. <laughs> Sabine's brother Tristan. Sure. <laughs> Tristan can be there too. I mean, just totally forgot him. about him, yeah. I'll be honest. I mean, he's hot though. All right, who's he gonna be? <laughs> Who um Harrison Jr.? too tall uh he might be a little too old for the no he'd probably be at the right age right now like 40 a a really good choice or um henry golding would be wonderful (laughs) i would be all about that life (laughs) british accent and his dreamy dreamy face (laughs) i'm fine with looking at him that's yeah either of those there'll be no complaints thumbs up all the way (laughs) you know what i will have no complaints for is if I see Imperial Super Commandos, I'm hoping. <laughs> I'm really hoping. I think that would be so cool uh, to see like some loyalist of Gar Saxons who like glad you're dead, Saxon. Like, are rested piss. Um, <laughs> so I mean, if if some of his guys were still around and serving Gideon, it would be so scummy, mm-hmm. and it would be really great to have to see like these hardcore mandalorians be like you're serving the empire like you've corrupted the way that much it would be an emotionally charged 
uh, fight, and it would just be sick to watch Imperial Super Commandos fighting Mandalorians. Like that would be just <laughs> it's it was fun to watch in Rebels. It would be so much fun to watch in live action. Um, I would love to see that. It's a long shot. If it doesn't happen, I'm not gonna like freak out and be like, oh, the season's ruined. Um, I know whatever's gonna happen will be fun, but that's like my one one hope. I like it. I like it a lot. I would guess yeah. if they're not here, season three, season four, we'd probably be seeing something of them. Or at least a rumor. Potentially. Possibly. I like all these ideas, guys. I like I like where we're going. I think Filoni and company should hire us for ideas because we're just very good at this. <laughs> Do either of you two have anything else to throw in? Any hopes, wishes? No, I just hope that we continue. I think we're setting ourselves up for a really great character-driven move towards the finale. That's what I'm hoping for. This episode did a great job setting things up, so now we just mm -hmm. have to take a couple steps. Yes, and I trust Bryce and Rick coming back to do the last two episodes. Oh, yeah. I mean, Bryce Dallas Howard's episodes have been bangers yeah. like all of the ones she's done have been great so really excited to see what she's got coming forward and of course family you closing it out like he's yeah. he's been fantastic as well mm -hmm. so yeah season's in good hands it, yeah. it feels like they've, they're really setting the pace to close it out with a bang mm -hmm. very exciting i'm very excited <laughs> <laughs> all right well i think that is going to bring us to our close today thank you so much for joining us you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at YASWPod. Follow us wherever you're getting your podcasts. Hit that follow button. Check out our previous episodes on the main Star Wars films and other great Star Wars content. Check out all of the offerings in the Forgotten Entertainment family at ForgottenEntertainment.com. You can also find us on the Bohemian Geek Studies podcast. You can find my Star Wars book reviews on BohemianGeekStudies.com. And join us next time as we continue our coverage of Mando season three and close out our coverage of the Bad Batch, which I might cry. Let's face it. It probably will happen. Did you, already, did you not already? I have, oh, I, I cried. I have a lot of things <laughs> to say about that. I have a lot of things to say about that. I shook my fist at the television and cursed Dave Filoni and everything. <laughs> everything is going to be fine. I will have tissues and wine and it will be perfect. Until then, of course, remember... If you don't want the New Republic to find you, don't tell your astromech where you are. No mind Wait, wiping, though. We're against that. Guys, um, <laughs> I'm getting I'm getting a message. Uh, uh -oh. There is an Imperial <laughs> transmission that needs to come through real quick. Attention, galaxy. This is your Emperor. I just want to remind everyone. I know it is so fun that you can access the Holonet through your mobile data devices. But when you are on your speeder or your starship, stop looking at your fucking data pad. Look at the goddamn skyway, the road, the hyperlane. Don't cause accidents, okay? It's really fucking annoying. Me and Grand Moff Tarkin and Vader were going to go get some barbecue, and we got rear-ended by some fucking womp rat in a speeder who wasn't looking at what he was doing. Now my back is sore and I have to go to the Senate and sit in those metal fucking chairs. Do you understand how uncomfortable that is on my back? I don't want to fucking do that. 
We had to go to Dexter's Jetster's Cafe because the barbecue place was closed. Do you know how embarrassing that was for me? <laughs> Fuck all of you. Listen to what your emperor says. Goodbye. All right. Goodbye. Bye, everybody.